listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Thank you so very much for spending some time with us. We have a big program ahead, and we are going to ask the question and say absolutely definitively that... A man got to have a coat. That is right. Omar, one more time. A man got to have a coat. That is Omar from The Wire. A man has got to have a code. A person, if you prefer a genderless line, it doesn't have the same ring to it. And I will just say this, that The Wire continues to be the greatest television series ever made. And I will fight you over that. I know there's going to be those of you out there that say, what, Game of Thrones, dude? Yeah, Game of Thrones was great, but bobbled the end, bobbled the dismount. And I think that counts against. Graham saying Breaking Bad's better. No, Breaking Bad is good, but a lot of filler in there. A lot of filler. The Fly episode, that kills Breaking Bad right there. The, remember when he just chases the fly? Didn't it's just watch one it. Of those I've only ever seen The Wire. Series. I stopped watching Sopranos, The Wire. Sopranos, yeah, for another great series, mishandled the dismount. The Journey song plays them out. Makes no sense. The Wire, ladies and gentlemen. And then you ask yourself, why am I playing? A man got to have a code. Because we have a new code for internet providers, and it has a distinct and absolute impact on you, the consumer, and how you buy your cell phone and your cell phone plan. Coming up in the uh, latter half of the program, we are going to talk about that, what it means, and whether or not you can actually save a couple of bucks, a couple of dineros, on the old cell phone plan. Plus, as always... Cats are deadly animals. We are keeping our eye on the cat situation. We have cat news for you. I threw cats into the old internet news machine. You would not believe what I found today. God, I hate this freaking cat. But we begin with what you heard in the news, and that is documents obtained by The Sun show that the agency in charge of regional commuters in the commuting system in this province, that's Metrolinx, is looking at selling off naming rights over a 5 to 10 period. Now, those naming rights could include individual stations, you get yourself a parking lot maybe, maybe a quiet zone, a bathroom, a bike zone, a waiting zone, you name it. And naming rights would be available for a 5 to 10 year term, and would vary according to whether the station was new or existing. Now, here is Brian Lilly, who wrote this column, speaking on this radio station. Look, I know that some people would be upset at this. I, you know, I've, I've seen people that, you know, they tend to be the folks on Twitter that hate everything the Ford government does. This is, according to the Metrolinks documents, not an initiative of the Ford government whose slogan is they're open for business, but something that they've been looking at for many years. And they also point out that they kind of already have a lot of corporate sponsors. You know, CIBC is the sponsor of the UP Express, and you see their ads everywhere, and they sponsor the Wi-Fi. They do corporate partnerships with Loblaws, where you can get your PC pickup at uh, Select uh, uh, Go and TTC stations. So these things, these corporate partnerships already exist, and this is a way to continue paying for transit without increasing fares or increasing taxes. So for the most part, I think it's a good idea. That is Brian Lilly speaking on this radio station earlier. And I just, as I saw this, and I think you probably did too, you thought to yourself, now what would line up here? What would make sense in terms of a sponsor for certain things? And I had a couple of suggestions. You could have the Burlington Go Station brought to you by Brunswick Sardines. Hey, they're packed in just like you. 
You could have the Purell Go Transit public restrooms. Trust us, you're going to need it. In the same vein, Dr. Scholes could bring you the seats. Tagline, you know somebody's dirty feet have been here. Politically, we could go with Andy Shear's Go Station Milk Bar. Supply-side heavy cream now on sale. Or maybe even the Ontario News Now Quiet Zone. For calming propaganda and a cash drop-off zone for Doug Ford. That brings me to Ontario News Now, and the question, has Ontario News Now gone too far? Here's a little background on some winery whining that happened this week. I'll give you a bit of background if you don't know, and you likely do, that Ontario News Now is the propaganda arm of the Ontario government. It is funded by caucus services, which is essentially the money that each party gets as a percentage of their winnings at the election. The more members you have, the more MPPs you have, the more money you get for caucus services. If you're not an actual official party like the Liberals, you don't get any caucus services money. And that money is spent at the discretion of the party. And Ontario News Now is a social media platform. The Premier has said in the past that it is great because it just goes directly to the people and it circumnavigates and goes around what he perceives as a media bias. Now, here's what's happened. Ontario News Now posted this little gem from Doug Ford's visit to see his buddy MPP Rick Nichols. We're here at Peely Island Winery in Kingsville with my all-star MPP Rick Nichols. You know, Premier, it's an honor to have you here in Kingsville. You know, this particular winery, they employ over 25 people. There's an opportunity for even more employment. Those uh, tanks, those wine tanks, contain between 5 and 6 million liters of some of the finest wine that people throughout the province will ever find, even worldwide. All right. I I didn't... I didn't promise that it was good broadcasting. I didn't, I didn't promise that Ontario News Now would be good. But if you ask yourself what Omar would say... The man got to have a code. Is that code, does that in code include not taking money from companies that you feature in your propaganda videos? Because it turns out that the president of the winery had donated money to the PC party twice in 2019, that according to public filings with Elections Ontario. And that just was weeks before the company was featured in that video. And then all of a sudden you had a hashtag and everybody's upset, you know, boycott Peely Island Winery, and then people are outraged on the other side. It's not a thing until people are outraged. Am I right or am I right? Are you outraged by the fact that I'm outraged? I hope you're outraged. Now, and then MPP Rick Nickel, who you heard in that sentinel video, gets onto the old Twitter machine himself and says, well, so it's not cool for local businesses to donate to a political party because of the good things the Ford government is doing for Ontario? You want to boycott Peely Island Winery as punishment? What about unions who use union dues to donate to the NDP and liberals? Is that a double standard? I don't know if that's quite the same thing, but the MPP makes a point. Queen's Park Today reporting that a number of other Tory donors have also received cameos in Ontario News Now videos. But, of course, it has also featured businesses that have not donated to the PCs. This is mostly much ado about nothing. As Premier of the province, one of the jobs that you have is to be a booster and pitch person for all. 
And this is something, regardless about how you feel about Ford's politics, I think you must admit the Premier does well. Can I sell you a sticker? Anybody? Sticker? But politics is optics. What the public perceives it sees equals truth. And I'll say that again. What the public perceives that it is seeing, it equates as truth. Already we have seen evidence of friends and relations benefiting from Ford's rules. And this story is not over. Mark the words that I will say. I hope somebody's rolling on this because we're going to play this back. Ford rewarding friends and relations with government largesse will ultimately be his undoing. But that's a story for another day. Today's story is about Ontario News Now and the allegations that the government's propaganda arm is being used as a cash-for-access vehicle. All right, let's put down the bottle for a moment. This is basically standard. Dalton McGinty, when I was Queen's Park Bureau Chief, I would follow him around the province as he did things, and endlessly he would tour solar panel manufacturers. Those manufacturers benefited from the McGinty Green Energy Plan. Wynne, Kathleen Wynne, when she was premier, wandered through endless supermarkets that were now selling beer and wine. If those companies were not donors, did they not benefit from her government's policy? In a blog post, John Michael McGrath of TVO writes, quote, The problem is that this recent controversy effectively resets the days since the government scored an own goal sign on the wall of Ford's office. And it could do also further damage to a government that's already battling accusations that it is too cozy for lobbyists. That's from TVO's John Michael McGrath, who echoes really what I am saying here is that there may not be anything to see here. But the fact of the matter is, if Ford wants to stop the negative news cycle that has begun to spin faster and faster against him, then it would be a good idea to stop handing critics a stick to beat him with. And, you know, speaking of savage beating, Ontario News Now most recent video features the Ontario minister most likely to drop the gloves Here's Lisa McLeod at a Variety Village announcement. Today we're at Variety Village uh, that supports uh, Paralympians as well as Special Olympians and of course the next level of Paralympians and uh, Special Olympians. $2.5 million for essential facility repairs and $2 million over the next... And that is Ontario Minister of Sport, Lisa McLeod, and right at the end of the video, you should watch it, she cross-checks a cutout of Eugene Melnick. You know, more shouting at hockey owners and less questions about cronyism and influence could actually help Doug Ford. Maybe something to think about right there. When we come back on the Alan Carter radio program, we are going to talk about bears and scooters. Not bears on scooters, but bears and scooters. Sad news out of British Columbia and an interesting question for you about bears and nuisance bears and when they're a threat to the public. It's not something we really deal with here in the GTA, but in a large portion of this province, encounters with bears is a relatively standard thing, not that unusual. But I promised a little news about the king. Black porch preacher preaching at me. That back porch preacher is preaching, 
preaching about the fact that jewelry, clothing, con- contractual documents, and a signed guitar are all among 400 items available at an auction of Elvis Presley-related memorabilia at Graceland in Graceland. Uh, the bidding is now open online at the auction. An entire week, it's a celebration of the late singer and actor's life and career, and it draws fans, of course, to Memphis and Graceland every year. But uh, there you go. You can The auction will include a black tuxedo made for Presley's 1969 film, The Trouble with Girls, which is the song we just heard was in that movie, which I'm, I'm certain is just a fabulous movie. All those Elvis movies were fantastic. I have an alligator update. You know how much I enjoy the alligator updates. The city of Chicago efforts to wrangle an alligator that was found living in a park lagoon this summer cost more than $33,000 American. It's an expensive pair of shoes. Money. Can we talk for a moment about scooters? You may have heard this that scooters now have come to Canada. And we're going to take you to Calgary in just a moment. But first, two men in San Diego have impounded thousands of electric scooters that they say have been left littering around that city, endangering pedestrians, and that sparked a battle with the companies that have flooded so many American cities with these scooters. The company is called Scoot Scoop, and they use a flatbed truck And they just take away scooters that have been left improperly around hotels or on other private property. In over one year of operation, they've impounded more than 12,000 scooters. The electric scooter companies Bird and Lime have responded by suing this company. The battle between the men and the scooter companies underscores this chaotic legal landscape for the vehicles which, if you have not seen these yet, they're about the same size as any kind of a toy scooter, but you have an electric motor on them, and what you do is you just go and you scan it. It's got a UPC code on it. You scan it with your app on your phone. You just drive away. There's, there's no docking station. You don't take it back to anywhere. You just leave it where it is. And cities in the U.S. and Europe are struggling now with how to regulate these scooters. Meanwhile, In the first few weeks since Calgary's pilot project, or program rather, to bring these electric scooters into that city, 30,000 users have apparently already tried out the scooters. Last Friday, the busiest day yet, 10,000 users. And keep in mind, folks, this is coming to Toronto. But here's the flip side. Since the pilot started, Calgary's hospitals have seen at least 60 patients ushered in reporting injuries related to scooter use. A third of those injuries have resulted in fractures, 10% were facial or head trauma injuries. And then there's this bolt on the back of the scooters near the real we- rear wheel, apparently, that catches on the back ankle, and that has led to sprains, cuts, and scrapes. Andrew Jeffrey is a reporter at the Star Calgary who has been reporting on this and joins me on the line. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Alan. How you doing? Have you tried out one of these scooters yet? Uh, I haven't tried it myself. Uh, it's only been a couple of weeks here, but uh, living in downtown Calgary, I've uh, seen many, many of them in the past couple of weeks here, zipping around downtown. I just got back from Oakland where I was covering the Raptors um, win their championship drive, and when I was in Oakland, I, w- I was shocked at how many were just sort of, and not just one company, several different companies, just scooters everywhere. Has that already been the experience in Calgary? Definitely. I mean, if you're walking around downtown here, it's been quite the change over the course of just 
this past month here. Um, in the last couple of weeks here, like you mentioned there, there's been 30,000, uh, I actually believe it's now 35,000 uh, unique uh, users on these. Overall, 80,000, roughly 80,000 trips total around the city since this has started. And uh, I mean, downtown is com- a completely different experience walking around downtown right now because with the uh, Lime and Bird scooters here in Calgary, um, you just see them everywhere. They're, they've become much more popular, whereas, I mean, you know, I hadn't seen someone ride a scooter since I think I was 11 um, prior to, uh, to this sort of pilot coming here. What's the the general feeling in Calgary, if if you can quantify that for me in any way, uh, about these? Are they being seen as a nuisance or like, oh, hey, cool technology? I mean, there's definitely a novelty to uh, seeing this new kind of transportation, this new service here, which is being reflected in the numbers that we're seeing in terms of the amount of people using them. So there's definitely excitement surrounding that. I think there's just um, some concern coming with that in terms of where... People wanting to be sure about where these scooters can operate. Um, you're concerned about, uh, as you mentioned there, the number of uh, personal injuries that have come up since uh, the scooters have been implemented here. Um, so there, there is some concern and, I mean, some annoyance of um, you know, people, as people get used to this new technology and this new transportation, um, sort of people can be a bit reckless with it. I think there's a, they can be a bit of a nuisance, but those are all kind of natural growing pains for something that's uh, as new as this is. I mean, this, this is so important to the rest of the country, this pilot project, because pretty much every municipality in this country, including Toronto, looking very closely at what happens in Calgary. So your reporting about the level of injuries is going to be something that a lot of people in this city are looking at. Definitely. I think it's important to uh, sort of track that number as it goes along here. I mean, what's important for Torontonians to keep in mind here um, is that, uh, you know, if this pilot, if a similar pilot's embedded in the city here, it would not be at all surprising to see a similar number of injuries probably scaled up to the population there in Toronto within the first couple of weeks, just as it's happened here in Calgary, just because people aren't used to this kind of transportation, this kind of technology. Uh, what will be interesting to sort of monitor here in Calgary is whether this number kind of, this uh, number of personal injuries kind of quiets down over the next um, couple months here as the pilot goes on. Obviously, there's a big difference between Southern California and Calgary, and, you know, we like to think that Calgary is a colder and snowier city than Toronto, but some winters it's not. What happens when the snow flies with all these things? Well, this pilot, this pilot will run until the fall here, and then it'll, um, it'll take a break over the winter, and then the scooters will return next uh, summer. Um, or next spring, I should say. And then uh, sort of this whole dockless um, scooter and uh, bike project will kind of be considered on a more permanent basis after that point. Um, But yeah, I mean, it would be very impractical to be trying using these lime scooters through a Calgary winter. And so that definitely won't be, there won't be an attempt made at doing that. Uh, They'll uh, sort of take a break over the winter here. Uh, Here's the other thing I know about Calgary, having uh, lived in Alberta and spending most of my time in Edmonton, but it can snow every single month of the year. <laughs> am I right or am I right? Yeah, I mean, as a born and raised Edmontonian, uh, too true. Very, very true. So saying that, hey, we're going to have these things around to the fall, mm, oh, here's a, here comes a nor'easter, you know, on Labor Day. So that could be, yeah. that could be troublesome. It, it could be. I think that's something we haven't, uh, something we haven't seen yet. I mean, um, there's been a bit of rain here, a rainier season, uh, maybe than most uh, than some other summers in the past. But um, that's something that has been untested, and um, I think uh, that'll come down to whether people feel comfortable using these uh, scooters. You know, when e- even like putting aside sort of a massive snowfall that would obviously uh, discourage that. You know, if there's a little bit of slush and ice around. Uh, I think these scooters are untested through those conditions, and. Uh, 
uh, it'll be up to whether people feel comfortable using them through through those kinds of conditions. Yeah, and we'll have to see if that has an, an added impact on injuries and personal safety. Andrew Jeffrey is a reporter with the Star in Calgary. Thanks so much for uh, being on the program. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. We're going to move further west now to a disturbing story out of Coquitlam that involves a bear and some cubs. The bear had been around the backyards and been digging into some garbage, and there was concern about public safety. Uh, Here is the report from Global BC. It's tired. Like, why don't you go hang on to a tree for an overnight? He was the first of four bears to be killed in Coquitlam's Chinaside neighborhood this week. This Bruin suspected of ransacking a home. It was in no way, shape, or form aggressive. It was, to me, it was unnecessary. And on Tuesday night, three more destroyed, a sow and two cubs. But not before three neighbors got arrested, accused of obstructing the conservation officers. They grabbed me, they put handcuffs on me, they put me in a car, it was really hot in there. Because of how they were treating Susan, you can see her there. Their phones seized by Mounties, called in for backup. Susan Flint and Tony Fasine are now facing charges under the Wildlife Act. Well, I was, I was standing on the sidewalk filming. Uh. Yeah, so that's... I guess the obstruction was that he wanted me to not be there filming him. They were told multiple times uh, to leave the area, to back away from the situation, and they chose not to. He adds the sow and two cubs had lost their fear of people and developed a deadly habit for unsecured household garbage. He says the Conservation Service tried several times over the last six weeks to trap and relocate these bears, but with no success. None of the officers became conservation officers to, to, you know, destroy wildlife. I don't know what the solution is, but shooting them, there must be other ways. The mayor says the solution is in her neighbors, who despite years of warnings continue to leave their trash accessible to the animals. Don't blame the conservation officers or the bears. Richard Stewart says, blame the people. Bye-bye. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. That is such a sad story and a difficult story, I think, for everyone. I mean, I think, you know, there's, there would be pulls in, in, your, in your mind, your body to say, don't shoot, like, don't shoot the bears. Why would you do that? But listen, if you have had experience with bears and you, you know that once bears become acclimatized to getting food and especially near a residential area, and in this area, Coquitlam, if you know this portion of British Columbia, it, this is where, you know, residences and, and significant developments are right close to habitable areas for bears. It's not like being in northern Ontario where there's just, you know, there's a dump outside of town and that's where the bears are uh, and everybody else is okay. But we're seeing this more and more in, in northern Ontario as well, in the Sioux. We're seeing it uh, again and again, and I think this is going to become a bigger issue. And I guess the question is... You know, it doesn't make sense to get in the way of a conservation officer. I think that point there, you know, conservation officer doesn't get into this job to shoot bears. That's not what they're there for. They don't want to do it, but sometimes it has to be done. That's sad. Let's just say this. A man got to have a coat. A man has got to have a code. Not only a man, but in this country, 
Internet service providers have got, that doesn't have quite the same ring to it, but you get my point. A new internet code to protect Canadians from unexpectedly high bills and to resolve disputes with internet service providers goes into effect next January. That's an announcement from the CRTC, that is the Canadian Radio, Television, and Telecommunications Commission, CRTC. They're listening to us right now. Hi, guys. Please don't pull my broadcasting license. But this new code will allow Canadians to better understand prices, especially for bundles and promotions and time-limited discounts and whether the thing is unlimited or whether it's not. To talk more about what's in this code and if it's indeed true that... A man got to have a code. Shruti Shigar from Mobile Syrup joins me. Hi, Shruti. Hi, Alan. I honestly love hearing you talk. It's amazing. <laughs> well, that puts one in the plus column uh, at home, all the, all the other sides. Like, Dad, stop, talk, talk, or ta- stop being on the radio, Dad. Stop talking. But let's talk about this code. And what does it actually say? This is a very long-awaited code. It's very long. There's a lot of information in it. Um, And essentially, it's supposed to allow for Canadians to have better understanding of prices, as you mentioned, especially for bundles, promotions, and time-limited discounts. And there are other various aspects to the code as well. You know, for example, making sure that Internet service providers notify a customer when they reach either 75% of their data, 90%, or 100%. Um, It offers flexibility of permitting customers to cancel their contract within 45 days. So, you know... This was a code that was needed for Canadians. However, um, whether or not it, it is good or perfect for Canadians, there are some consumer groups that are concerned and um, a little upset about it. But I, I think it was the right step for the CRTC to, to introduce something. You know, we have something uh, for wireless services like cell phones. We have something for TV services. And now the next logical step, as the chairman told me yesterday, uh, Ian Scott, this was the next logical step, to have something with Internet service providers. Shruti, what's the response been from the ISPs? So uh, I haven't heard... Okay, so it's, it's a little bit... Because, as I mentioned, the document is so long, some carriers have not responded responded yet, such they as... They don't have well, enough people there to read the damn thing? Come on. I, I guess not. Have, have you seen the size of the buildings they own? There's a lot of people that work there. <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. I should get in touch with them again. But, you know... Uh, People at Bell, Kojiko, Videotron, ExploreNet, Saskatel all have not uh, given responses yet. Uh, TELUS has uh, said that they welcome the the, uh, code and are reviewing it and say that many aspects from the code are already in existence in their plans. Uh, Not surprising for them to say something like that. Uh, Rogers also welcomed the code. Again, unsurprising. You know, this is a code that... um, most of these carriers wanted wanted to have they they sort of intervened they talked about it um but uh yeah we're still waiting to hear back with what other carriers have to say shorty shikar is a reporter with mobile syrup let me ask you this question a man got to have a code do you live by a code <laughs> i try to sometimes <laughs> shorty always great to talk to you thank you so much for being on the program Talk to you later. Bye. All right. When we come back on the Mighty Alan Carter Radio Program. Cats are deadly animals. Cat news.
I promised cat news. I have cat news. Cats are deadly animals. This is from the Atlantic Monthly. After the victims were found dead, decapitated, and breasts opened, the residents of a beachside community in Australia took matters into their own hands. Five locals, including a biologist, arranged an overnight stakeout. Another neighbor lent them a mobile home so they could take turns sleeping at the scene. The target of all of this drama, a cat. Specifically, a cat who has taken to killing the birds in the sanctuary. The area has been fenced off. The nesting grounds covered over to attract vulnerable and adorable native sea birds called fairy terns. Now, fairy terns don't usually nest near people, but to the city's great pride and joy in this Australian town, they started having chicks in this area until the cat showed up. God, I hate this freaking cat. Still with cats, Rebel Wilson, one of the film cats, many big name stars, is defending the trailer. Have you seen the trailer? It's the stuff of nightmares. Admitted she understands and likes the reaction, though, says Rebel Wilson. Speaking to Cosmo, the actress said, when the trailer came out, the response was pretty massive. There were some people who were like, oh my God, because it is brand new technology that's CGI. It's technology that will keep you up for weeks on end. Also in the movie is Idris Elba, one of the big name stars. Here he is talking about the fact that Taylor Swift is in this movie. Tay-Tay is in the movie. It was great working with Taylor. Taylor, you know, she found herself in quite a vulnerable place, you know. Um, she sings and dances on screen all the time in her music videos, but this was acting. This was a slightly different thing. And she was very open about that. You know what I mean? And, and her and I worked together closely because our characters did a, a song together. Uh, I really enjoyed her process. I really enjoyed her dedication. That is Idris Elba you know, talking about Taylor Swift. And I would just like to say that today we should all go forward and say to someone in our lives, I enjoy your process. The man got to have a coat. Here now are two stories about how millennials are ruining everything. I know I have a lot of eager listeners when I say this that you agree with me that millennials are ruining everything. Exhibit A in Millennials Ruining Everything. Last week, Tim Hortons launched a brand new, more upscale and supremely Instagram-friendly location in the Exchange Tower on King West in Toronto. You may have seen the lineup It went around the block. But why is the company doing this? Well, Toronto Life spoke with Axel Schwann, who is the company's global chief marketing officer, to find out what is it about this new thing. Why are they pivoting to focus on millennials? Here's the quote. Instagrammability is definitely very important to millennial consumers. Things have to taste awesome and look equally awesome. So we've really been focused on that, not only with our donuts, but our drinks as well. The pour-over coffee takes a little while longer, but it's a nice process to watch. That is the Global Chief Marketing Officer for Tim Hortons, explaining how millennials have now ruined coffee. Part B. Millennials are ruining nightclubs. Hey, listen, listen. Once known as the heart of the entertainment district, the clubs on Granville Street in downtown Vancouver are slowly disappearing 
as young people turn to other forms of nightlife. By 2020, there will only be seven licensed nightclubs and live music venues compared to 13 just in 2009. Now, the reason behind this? Millennials. The demographic most likely to frequent clubs appear to prefer pubs and restaurants to hitting the dance floor. Weekly DJs just aren't the draw they were once with one young people. Quote, the reason why people traditionally went out were to listen to new music, to hook up with somebody, and to have a couple of drinks, says someone with Blueprint Entertainment in Vancouver. Quote, you can do two of those things online now very easily. So, it's all about swiping right. You got your playlist, your Spotify playlist, you got your Bumble. Who needs who needs a nightclub? I'm going axe throwing. That's what I'm doing. Millennials have now ruined nightclubs. I don't really I don't I don't like nightclubs anyway, but but still, there you go. Two things that the millennials have ruined. Ruined, I tell you. And here is one more sign of the apocalypse, if I might. A YouTuber family is now selling a doll version of their newborn son for $340. That is right. This YouTuber family from the United Kingdom are sell- is selling this doll. The Ingham family has 1.2 million subscribers who watch their vlogs that chronicle the lives of their four children. And recently, a little baby was born on March 27th. And, of course, the baby has its own Instagram account because if it didn't have an Instagram account, it would not exist in 2019. And now... If you are a fan of this baby, if you like the merch, you can own a doll of a newborn baby for $340. There. You want to talk space? Let's talk space. An international team of astronomers led by a Cornell astronomer has characterized now the first potentially habitable world outside of our own solar system Maybe it's time we just leave this planet. Here's Paul Delaney talking to Kelly Cotrera. This one is yet another one of the exoplanet discoveries. They seem to be coming thick and fast, and they are. But this one is particularly notable for two reasons. One, it's relatively close, 31 light years. That's just around the corner, astronomically speaking, in our own backyard. But secondly, they've got a planet in the habitable zone, at least one planet in the habitable zone, which means that the possibility of liquid water and therefore life on this world is is reasonable. And so it's a little larger than the Earth. Surface temperature, if it's got an atmosphere, and that's a big if, we don't know that yet, but if it's got an atmosphere, then the surface temperature will be in and around sort of like, you know, 5, 10 degrees Celsius on average. Really pristine conditions as far as the formation of life is concerned, as far as we understand it. So a couple of good good points there for us to do follow-up observations on this particular object. Paul, you said that this super-Earth is it's just 31 light years away from our solar system. How long would it take us to get out of our solar system? <laughs> yeah, therein lies the rub. Uh, if, if you're talking about the speeds with which we can propel spacecraft today, uh, quick back of the envelope calculation says about 500,000 years to wow. get to this, 
yeah, right? So it shows you how pitiful our technology is. We, we need a Star Trek Enterprise. We need a wormhole of dumb, some description. We need new technology to be able to bridge the distances between the stars. So you and I are not going to plan a vacation on this planet 31 light years away anytime soon. But that doesn't stop astronomers, you know, gaining insight into this particular object based upon the light that it is transmitting to us. And that's what we are doing. We're examining it now ever more carefully because we know it's, we know it's there now. Paul, why are they referring to it as a super-Earth? So it's about six times the mass of the planet Earth. So when you look at the planets in our solar system, we've got what we, broadly speaking, we've got two types, terrestrial planets of which Earth is a type and member of that group, and then the gas giants, the Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. So broadly speaking, there are two types of planets. When we're looking at the possibilities of life, we want a terrestrial type world, a world where you can walk around on the surface that has an atmosphere that is modest, not like Jupiter or Saturn, and one where the temperature structure allows for liquid water on the surface. So that means temperatures that you and I are comfortable with. Super-Earth falls into that terrestrial category. It's got a solid surface. The, even though it's bigger than Earth, it's not nearly the size of Jupiter. So, for example, Jupiter is 315 times the mass of the Earth. This one's only six. So it's just a little bit larger in mass than Earth, and that puts it right in the, you know, the, the good regime to develop life as we understand it. Space, no longer the final frontier. Space.